One of the most alarming trends we're seeing in teenagers these days is the prevalence of anxiety. If one of your kids or a teenager you know is struggling with anxiety, we are thrilled to share a brand new resource to help. The latest book from Rooted, Anxiety, Finding a Better Story. It's a 31-day devotional for teenagers written by mental health counselor and friend of Rooted, Liz Edrington. As a teenager, Liz felt overwhelmed by anxiety. Now that she's a mental health counselor, she wants to pass on what she's learned. Just understanding what anxiety is makes a big difference. But what makes an even bigger difference is understanding what God has to say about it. With daily scripture readings, breathing exercises, and additional mental health resources, this little book offers you comfort and help in your anxiety. See how your anxiety fits into the big story of your life and of the whole universe, and learn how Jesus can bring you peace. Order your copy of Anxiety, Finding a Better Story by Liz Edrington wherever you buy books, or purchase through the link in the show notes for this episode. You are listening to a talk recorded at the 2023 Rooted Ministry Conference in Franklin, Tennessee. While you listen, why not visit rootedministry.com conference to learn about the 2024 Rooted Conference in Dallas, Texas. so glad that the last song that Sandra sang was about this, what we're going to get to experience for eternity. And we have to get there. And tonight, so much of what I'm about to share is what is kind of hindering us for the tension that we feel often um, as we are walking this earth with other broken people, sinful people. And we're going to be talking about loving our enemies. So I know, get excited. (laughs) You're like, I'm already convicted. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Matthew 5. And if you would stand, please, as I read, that would be great. We're going to look at Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may be seated. This is a hard passage. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That kind of feels like the culture that we're living in. People had misinterpreted God's pure hatred for evil and applied it to their fallible lives. In other words, like so many times when we read the Bible, people misapplied it. When we look out at the landscape of our churches and our communities, one might wonder if we too have adopted that false idea that we should hate our enemies. There is a difference between conviction, rebuke, 
and hate. And even now, as I was thinking about your work and what you do, I imagine you're on the front lines, that you've experienced the confusion of the past several years in ways that are likely acute. We are tired, we are weary, but my prayer for you, as I have been praying for you, is that you'll be inspired through God's word to be the change you hope to see. It sounds so cliche, but often it really does start with us. We need to ask ourselves the hard question. This exhortation from Jesus isn't isolated. We see it in the summation of the law that we are to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have a tough commandment, don't we? I wonder if part of the reason we find ourselves in this state in our churches, the divide, the tension, the infighting, the, the groups that were together, there's a lot of tribalism. Am I the only one who's noticed? Okay. <laughs> It's crazy. I just am like, whoa. But I wonder if part of the reason that we are seeing this and seeing it intensify is that we haven't taken this commandment seriously. We have like taken up arms. We know how to hate our enemy, fight against those who are not like us, who think differently who act differently, but do we love? I think it's hard. I think we haven't taken it seriously, and I would think this is also because we see love everywhere. I am what my husband would call gushy. I am, I'm gushy. I'm like, hi. <laughs> I love people, and I express it, and I tell people that I love them, and, and I, I'm just... I am, I'm gushy. But the idea of love is all over the place. Social media, you can get on Twitter, X, whatever it's called. <laughs> and you, what do you get to do when you say that hateful thing? You get to heart it. You can be on Facebook. What do you do? You heart, you like. Instagram, you heart. We have Valentine's Day. We say that we love everything. We love hamburgers. We love movies. We love, you name it. We love socks, whatever. We love everything. My, and I'm confessing, this is part confessional. My, if you looked at my text thread, you would see a gazillion heart emojis. It is true. We've trivialized love. It's everywhere. But when I look at the word of God and what Jesus commands, God commands us to a radical love for others. So radical, it includes loving our enemies and persecutors and loving without expectation of receiving love in return. Read this passage again later. <laughs> but the most challenging call is to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To truly love 
We must first know God. Love starts with God and ends with God because God is love. We see this in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love then has eternal significance. Love is proof of our salvation. It is not how we are saved. There's a difference there and we've got to get that right or we're going to be, we'll mess up everything. But if we look back in our text in Matthew 4, 44 and 45, Jesus says to love your enemies and to, to pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. We are set apart from the world. And people see it radically by our love for our enemies, by our love for those who do not love us. Whoever is born of God loves, period. If you know Jesus, you love. It is evidence of our transformed heart, significant, eternal significance. Not trivial, right? We see this in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. We cannot get away from this commandment. This is not, this is, we get, see it all throughout the scriptures. We are no longer servants. Rather, we are friends. We are adopted into a family. And we prove so by our love for one another. So I have a question for you. If you've loved perfectly, would you please stand up? We have a problem, don't we? We do. No one in here has loved perfectly. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus paid for every unloving thought, every unloving deed, every unloving thing that we have done and will do. Jesus paid it all. All to him we do owe. We thank him, but do we want to stay? No, we want to, we want to grow in Christ's likeness. And so we ask the Lord for help so that we might love. 
Look at God. God so he loves so infinitely and so deeply. Look at the common grace love in Matthew 5. He causes the sun to rise for those who are his enemies. So he's calling us to love like this. He pours out goodness. Think of Jesus. He loved the tax collector. Right? And then he tells us to do likewise. He loved the stranger. And then he calls us to do likewise. It is, he says it is easy for those to love those who love us back. In other words, it's easy for me to love my husband because I know he loves me. It's harder for me to love someone who's called me a racial slur. But that's the kind of love that God is calling me to. It's a radical love. He is perfect and calls us to be likewise. We can't. We need him to be like him. We need him. We need God to grow into the likeness of Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. If we can say that, then we will cling to him. We will ask him for help. Love isn't something that is derived from within us. It is radical. It is supernatural. And the kind of love that God calls us to, the, that love that lays down their lives, that love for neighbor, that love that allows us to love enemies must be from the Lord. It's, it's not in us. It's supernatural. We cannot love like this without first being born of God. Obviously, God's common grace allows for all men made in his image to love. But there is a love that separates and sets apart the Christian. We need the spirit to help us love like this. Our love for each other also has other significance. You've heard it before, but I, I, I think it's really important that we say it over and over to ourselves. Jesus says that by this, all people would know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our love, of course, has eternal significance in so far as our relationship with the Lord, but our love also is like an apologetic to a broken world. So the way you interact and treat one another in your local churches, it matters. It is telling people a story about Jesus. Do we believe that? One pastor who was recognizing the overwhelmingness of this commandment wrote this. I say it is overwhelming because it seems to demand that I tear the skin off my body and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that other person and all the longings that I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for that other person as though he were me. It is an absolutely staggering commandment if this is what it means, then something unbelievably powerful and earth-shaking and reconstructing and overturning and upending will have to happen in our souls. Something well beyond 
what self-preserving, self-enhancing, self-exalting, self-esteeming, self-advancing human beings like all of us can do on our own. Something supernatural has to happen. So Jesus calls us to love our enemies. To love those who hate and persecute us. To love our neighbor, regardless of whether our neighbors love and appreciate this. The call to love others can often push against our pride and our desire for affirmation. We may love faithfully for years. Or for some of you, you may be in here and you're like, I have served faithfully for years without zero recognition. Do they see me? God does. God is not so unjust. This is Hebrews that he would not recognize what you do for the saints. Let's be motivated by that. God sees. We may love faithfully for years, serve faithfully for years without any reciprocation, receiving anything. Now, I should say this because I think this is really important in today's culture. It's important in yesterday's culture too. But I want to say, I am not saying that we need to, to bend towards abuse. That's a different, that's not what I'm saying. I think that caveat is needed. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is speak the truth. As the scriptures say it, speak truth in love. Rebuke, confront, and maybe even walk away. Those are loving things too. Needless to say, we can't do it on our own. But with God, we can love radically. Because the love of Christ controls us. So motivated by love, I want to actively pursue loving others in practical ways. So how do we do this? How do we practically love our enemies, those who persecute us? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, the first thing I think we, we have a problem and so, number one, if you're a t- note taker, we need to know who the enemy is. Does anyone know that, where that comes from? It's probably terrible that I'm saying this at a youth group or youth event, that is. The Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> know who the enemy is. Anyways, terrible. But I, the scene, what's happened is Katniss or whatever her name is, she, <laughs> she is going off to kill all the kids and (laughs) it's getting worse and worse as I continue but and one of the guys is really her partner but he's not saying or something like that and he shouts know who the enemy is and she figures it out later okay that's (laughs) anyways that's very basic you don't go see it watch it later Here's the, here's the reality is we don't know who the enemy is, but we think everybody is our enemy. The devil would want nothing more than for us to be distracted with warring against one another. And I have never seen anything like it. I'm like, know who the enemy is. What are we doing? Love your enemy. Who's, who's your enemy? Ephesians 6, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We think everyone is our enemy, but the scriptures tell us a different story. Enemy isn't flesh and blood. We war against one another, but we aren't the true enemy. The devil is a deceiver and likes to keep us preoccupied and confused. Now, of course, we will have persecutors. We will experience those real enemies. But often we get this so wrong that everyone, we're just constantly fighting. We have power though, because of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to allow any footing with us, but we need to recognize this in our churches. But what does the scripture tell us? What does Jesus tell us in this text? What are we, or what are we supposed to do? If we think someone is our enemy, the Lord tells us to pray for them. Pray for your enemies. So if you feel the enemy is that person across the political aisle, when was the last time you prayed for that person? The church member who has a different opinion than you about how things should run, maybe that per person is difficult, but they're not your enemy. <laughs> maybe they struggle with self-righteousness, but are they really your enemy? Unlikely. Have you prayed? So what do we say about others to our children? Are we teaching them who the real enemy is? Or are we teaching them to believe that the other, whatever that is, <laughs> Is the enemy, those who are different, not like us, don't believe like us, we will have true enemies and persecutors. My question to you is, what type of armor are you putting on? And may I encourage you, as the Lord does, to pray. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your made-up enemies, <laughs> the people you think are against you. Pray for them. Your heart may change. Number two, greet the outsider. Greet the outsider. So if you want to grow in your muscle for loving our neighbor and fighting against this temptation to assume all people are our enemies and to begin to truly pray. You got to love people. And you want to guard against the sin of partiality. James 2 rebuked a church for this sin of partiality. You see in James 2, of course, the church they were favoring the rich over the poor. 
But James even says in verse 7, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And then we see the commandment again. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Aren't we glad that Jesus is impartial? There is no partiality with God. If we want to be like Jesus, we will not fear persecution. What can man do to the body? We will fear the Lord. This means opening our doors to those not like us. But even more specifically, to unbelievers. Ask the Lord to help you see the lost and share the good news of God's grace with them. Remember the God of infinite love who first loved you, who pulled you out of the pit, who redeemed your life. So we want to remember this. I love those who hate Christians. That sounds weird, but I was one. Until the age of 22, I thought Christians, well, it was a little bit before that, but Christians were crazy. I, I remember walking with a guy friend who confessed, you know, he was a Christian and, and he was talking about this life he wanted. And I was just like, what? That's <laughs> just hammering him. I was like, you are crazy. That is foolish. And your wife is going to be a slave. <laughs> <laughs> I was very funny, but I was, <laughs> I was bold. I was the same, but without Jesus. So anyways, and so, but I, at the age of 19, someone shared the gospel with me. It took a couple of years for the Lord to redeem my life. But when he did, it was a radical transformation. And I will never forget hearing the, the gospel preached, but we sang the hymn, Rock of Ages. Wash me, Savior, or I'll die. And right then, I knew I needed Jesus, and I was saved. And after that, the whole trajectory of my entire life changed. It's really funny that I'm up here, if you knew me then. The whole trajectory, it just changed. It was radical. What if she looked at me, African-American woman, I was pretty academic, bold, whatever, all the things that, and she didn't share the gospel with me. I was opposed to her. When, <laughs> when she opened the Bible, when, when I first, when she first shared the gospel with me, we were in a, a camp together. I was lead, leading a camp. She was my, camp, my assistant. I was the camp counselor leading, and she was my assistant. And I remember we were in a hotel room that we happened to be in the same room together, and she opened her Bible to have a quiet time. And I was like, what are you doing? She was like, having a quiet time. And I was like, 
You keep that over there. Keep it over there. And the next thing you know, I'm on her bed, confessing sin, crying. She shared the good news of God's grace with me. What if she saw me as an enemy? Know who your enemies are. Ask the Lord for eyes to see so that we might be a welcoming people, so that we might put on love to a broken world who need to know the love of Christ. Number three, as we think through how do we apply loving those, loving our enemies, loving those who hate us or what we think, how do we apply this? We need to remember that relationships are a gift. Right now, because we aren't really sure who our enemy is and our current Christian culture can feel like everyone is an enemy everywhere, relationships, if I talked, if I sat down with you and we had coffee, I imagine if you don't have broken relationships in your life, someone you know does. If your church doesn't, I'll be amazed. There are broken, I have, it's a fracturing of like never before that I have seen. So relationships can feel scary. We're guarded. We're already tempted to isolation and individualism because of our American culture. Add on a, a pandemic, add on cultural worry, whatever is happening. There's a lot going on. And we are divided. We need to remember that in order to show this love that Jesus is talking about, we've got to be in relationships, and relationships are a gift. Jesus, God, when he created the world, he could have just created Adam and Eve, but he created all sorts of people. He created humans with the need to be in community to fully thrive. You can't do what you do alone. You can't. You can't serve people the way you serve day in, day out, on your own, alone. You can't function in isolation. You need people. But people need you too. And we need help to know how to love one another well. We can't do it in isolation. And really, you can't obey most of the New Testament, including this text, in isolation, Paul wrote a lot of one another's. It's not just Paul, but that's okay. Love, <laughs> love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't put a stumbling block in the way of others. Accept one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. That is what we need. We need each other. So I'm going to tell you this. If you're in here and you're thinking, well, I failed at this and I failed at that and I failed at this, you are in very good company. We have all. And I want to end where I started. Thanks be to God for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who lived a perfect life, the life we could not live, 
and died a death, man of sorrows, he endured persecution, he did not speak back. He walked that road perfectly. He endured suffering, beating, name-calling, despair. Despair. Do you believe it? Jesus died on a cross, bearing the wrath that we deserve and has risen, and he is calling us to follow him. To love like he loved. We can't love like that. But we can lay down our lives. And we need his mercy, his help, his grace, his power to do it. And in a room this big, I, off, I imagine we also need help to forgive. And the good Good news is that Jesus is available to you. You do not have to walk out of here weary or tired. You can cast every single one of those burdens onto the Lord. Sandra alluded to this. Tim Keller said it like this. Who dare wake a king at 3 a.m. but a child? A child will wake a king at 3 a.m., right? Y'all are in youth ministry. They'll wake you at 3 a.m. <laughs> That's the kind of access you have. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and that we do have access to you. Jesus, thank you that you are interceding right now for your own. And you know every person in this room, every pain point, every sorrow, every need, even the thought of loving enemies might make them uncomfortable, Lord. You know that because they've been hurt. And even as I was talking, they might be thinking, yeah, I know who my enemy is and they don't deserve my love. Lord, maybe they don't. <laughs> but that's what you've called us to, a radical love. None of us deserve your love. God, help us. Help us, Lord. We can't do this apart from you. Your scriptures say that. We are in a culture right now that's so filled with tension and hating and striving. God, may we be radically different. I pray, God, that we might be more and more like you, Jesus Help us pour out your spirit that we might walk out of here with the ability and power and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our enemy, and to love those who persecute us. Jesus, help us. You promise to be there, to go before us. You say that we get to draw near to a throne of grace during our time of need. God, we confess it. We need you. Lord, I pray for everyone in here, God, that you would comfort them and that you would cause your face to shine upon them. May they thrive and enjoy you all the days of their lives. 
Tecnológicas. To register for Rooted 2024, visit rootedministry.com slash conference. Parenting has never been easy, and in a sea of information, it's hard to find the gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources you can trust. Whether you're a pastor serving in family ministry or a parent in the thick of raising kids, Rooted Reservoir Family Discipleship was created to equip you to disciple the teenagers in your life. We're excited to add three new courses this September. The first one, Pornography and Parenting. The second, On the Spiritual and Psychological Development of Children. And the third on navigating technology that talks about girls and social media and boys and video games. Join us today by visiting the curriculum section on our website, rootedministry.com.